0: That light is extremely bright today. I'm looking for escape. <laughs> that's better. Ah, that's better, yeah. It feels like the Texas sun. Uh, it's uh, a delight to be with you this morning. Good morning to you all. Uh, I'm just uh, pleased to be with you and uh, had an enjoyable week away uh, last Sunday and uh, very happy to uh, have had that time. And I thank Neil Kern for being here and uh, preaching in my place. But I always miss you. Uh, when i'm gone and uh, happy to be back with you again so uh, praise god for you and for this church and for all of you watching on facebook we just welcome you this morning uh, as well and uh, just pleased uh, that you could be with us Uh, so uh, this morning we are going to be continuing in our uh, study of the book of romans in a message that i'm calling dead to the law now uh, romans chapter 7 is difficult and so uh, like we pray every week we're going to pray for the Lord's help uh, to get us uh, some understanding of this because it's by the Holy Spirit that we gain understanding. So let's go <clears throat> to the Lord and ask for his help. Uh, Lord God, uh, we, we've been working our way through this book of Romans and uh, it doesn't get any easier as we get, uh, as we get to the middle chapters here. Uh, Lord, uh, chapter 7 is particularly difficult and uh, we would ask now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would uh, come and uh, assist me. Uh, as I try to expand the chapter, and uh, that, Lord, uh, your, your Holy Spirit would help those hearing uh, that what would be conveyed is what you want conveyed, Lord, and that we would gain understanding uh, and that our lives would be changed by it, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, those of you who served in the military, uh, you probably remember uh, the fear of your first day of basic training. I remember that. <laughs> Nothing more terrifying, getting off the bus and there's a drill instructor, uh, and he's probably screaming in your face like Louis, Louis Gossett screaming at Richard Gere for the entire time, and an officer and a gentleman, if you saw that movie. Uh, you did exactly what he told you to do uh, for eight miserable weeks, and uh, he barked at you, and you answered, and if you screwed up, which I'm sure you did many times, uh, you heard it in some colorful language, I'm sure. Uh, that's what basic training is like. 24-7, this man had complete control uh, over your life and complete authority. But after your time in the military was over, something happened, right? Uh, He no longer had that same authority over your life. And why is that? Well, the reason is because the source of his authority is the structure of the relationship that exists in the military because he is of superior rank to you. uh, He basically owns you. He can do whatever he wants with you. Uh, But when your relationship to the military ended, Uh, so did this man's authority over you." And so if you ran into your drill instructor on the street uh, today uh, for some reason, uh, you would not have to obey him. Uh, You would not have to salute him. If he told you to drop and and give you 100 push push-ups. well, you wouldn't have to do that either. Uh, I hope you would still respect him, uh, but you're no longer bound by his law and by his authority. You're dead to that now because your relationship with the military has ceased. And so as we come to Romans chapter 7, uh, this, this could be the most difficult chapter in all of Romans, and uh, so we're, we're going to be talking about being dead to the law, and so I want us uh, to put this in proper context. Before we dive into this chapter, let's just remember where we've been so we can see how Romans chapter 7 fits into the overall context of Romans. So uh, we'll put up the chart again, and what we saw in chapter 1 through uh, verse 320 is that we are all under sin's condemnation. Every single one of us is under sin's uh, condemnation. We're not immune from God's judgment. We can't plead ignorance uh, from his laws. We can't say uh, we're innocent of of sin. Uh, We're not. No one can plead that. All are guilty and all will be judged. So that's the first section. But then in the second section, from chapter 3, verse 21, to the end of chapter 5, this glorious good news of God's salvation, that when we place our faith In Jesus Christ for salvation, when we trust uh, in him uh, and him alone for our salvation, we have been saved. And God graciously provides this way of escape from judgment that is coming for all people. And so we see that we're justified, we're declared righteous, we're given God's righteousness, we confess our sins, we repent of them, we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And when we do that, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Now, wouldn't it be great that once we're saved, right, everything is easy, we have no more problem with sin, it doesn't bother us at all, the things that used to be attractive to us no longer attempt us in any way, wouldn't that be great, wouldn't it be amazing if that's what the world saw from us, just people who live completely sinful lives and we walk with the Lord 24-7 and uh, it's just unfortunate that life is not like that after we're saved, we still are going to struggle with sin. Yes, we're new creations. Yes, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet the old man is still somehow alive and well within us, wanting uh, its fleshly desires, wanting to satisfy its own lusts, and so the battle that we have between our flesh on the one hand—like you, know, you remember in the cartoons, the devil standing on one shoulder—and and the Holy Spirit, the angel standing on the other shoulder. Right, this battle raging in our consciences our entire lives, and that is going to continue all the way until we die. And so. This process of of becoming obedient to the Holy Spirit, becoming more and more Christ-like over the course of our lives, is this process which we call sanctification. And that's Paul's topic between uh, chapter 6 and chapter 8. So we have the sin problem, the answer to the problem is salvation, and now sanctification, which is our ongoing uh, process of becoming more like Christ. And that's where we are in the book right now. And as Paul said in chapter 6, we died to sin with Christ. Uh, And we said that that means that we are no longer bound to sin because Paul used this metaphor of baptism to show that when uh, Christ died, uh, then we went under the water and came up out of the water just as Christ. it's, It's a metaphor of baptism to show that as we went into the water and came up out of the water, we died and were raised to new life just like Christ was. And so in chapter 6, Paul said, well, uh, do you want to continue to sin now that you've died to it? May it never be. How can it be that those who have died to sin continue to live in it? And so the thought is that any believer who has received new life would certainly not want to continue in their life of sin. So baptism in the first half of chapter 6 is the metaphor. Then in the second half of chapter 6, uh, the marriage, be- uh, the metaphor becomes slavery. Uh, we were once slaves to sin, but now, having been freed uh, because of Jesus' death and our identification with him, now we can be slaves to God instead. And we saw that we can only have one master. It's either sin on the one hand or it's God on the other hand. And those who have become believers have chosen God as their master, and they're freed from the power and the penalty of sin by grace. And so as chapter seven begins, now another metaphor, this time the metaphor of marriage uh, to show uh, that uh, a relationship has ended and a new relationship is going to begin. And as we come to chapter seven, we can almost feel as we read these opening verses. Paul anticipating the questions from his Roman readers. Well, wait a minute, Paul. What about the law? Uh, What role does the law have in all of this now that we're saved? We've lived our entire lives to it. Uh, What is our relationship to the law today? And that's where chapter 7 fits into the overall context of Romans. And in fact, Uh, If we read from Romans chapter 7 verse 1 to chapter 8 verse 4, uh, you'll count 27 times that Paul used the word law in that short period of time. So he's very consumed with the law. He wants uh, people to know uh, what the role of the law is in their lives uh, now that they're saved. And so it applies to us too. What's the role of the law in our lives as believers? What do we do with the Ten Commandments and what do we do with God's law? Well, today, uh, we're going to try to answer three questions. And those questions are, what is our new relationship to the law? What does it mean that we died to the law? And then, are we still required to obey the law? So, uh, we'll answer the first question. uh, What is our new relationship to the law? And we'll read chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person for as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So notice, first of all, that Paul called his readers brethren. That's the first time he actually has used that word since all the way back in chapter 1. And this is an interesting term because it means a term of familiarity, a term of relationship, a term of community wrapped around a common belief. And that common belief is faith in Jesus Christ. These people are his brethren, his brothers in Christ. That's who he's writing to. And he's writing to people, as you can see in verse 1, who knew the law. And of course, that would include Jews, but that also includes Gentiles in Rome who would also be familiar uh, with the law of Moses, even though they hadn't had to obey it from childhood as the Jews did. But imagine Paul, he's writing to these people in Rome that he's never met. He's never been to Rome, but he loves them like they are his own family. And so uh, I liken it to our relationship here at Grace Redeemer. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We love each other. We want what's best for each other. And Paul wants what's best for these Roman Christians. And so he writes to them uh, to encourage them and to understand what the role of the law is now that they are saved. And we know that Paul used the word law many, many times in his letters, and sometimes he's talking about the ceremonial law, sometimes he's talking about the Ten Commandments only, sometimes he's talking about all uh, of of the law of Moses, and so uh, when we're trying to figure out what he's talking about here, I think that as we we look at the context, as he talks in verse 2 about the sin of uh, adultery, uh, he's and he talks in verse 7 about the sin of covetousness, he's probably talking about all of the Mosaic law here, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Uh, And so that is the law that he's talking about. So uh, if you're a believer, what is your relationship to the law? Well, Paul says in verse 1, he just sets forth this principle that everyone knows to be true. Don't you know that the law has jurisdiction over a person only as long as he's alive, right? That's obvious. If you're dead, the law has no jurisdiction over you anymore. It can't uh, convict you of anything. It can't enforce any penalties against you. You're dead. There's nothing that the law can do to you. Uh, But he's trying to set forth this principle then. The law does not apply to dead people, right? The law doesn't apply to dead people. Uh, The law terminates the law's authority. Uh, Let's think about it this way. Imagine a man uh, had uh, committed murder in two different states. And, and let's say uh, that the two states were Georgia and Texas, two states that have the death penalty. Now, let's say this man is captured in Texas and he's arrested and he's tried for the crime and he is uh, convicted and ultimately executed for the crime. Well, he's paid the price for the crime in Texas, but the law of Georgia no longer applies to him, right? They can't enforce the law against him because he's dead. You can only pay that price once. And so Paul basically is saying the same thing using this marriage metaphor in verses 2 to 3. A married woman, he's bound to her to her she's bound to her husband only while he's alive. But if he dies, obviously she's no longer bound. The covenant between them has been broken by death, and she is now freed from it. And she's freed to marry someone else. She won't be called an adulteress if she gets married because the law, the covenant that binds them has been severed. This would be obvious to his readers. This was part of their everyday life. They knew uh, that this was true. So now he's set forth this principle and he's illustrated the principle using marriage. And like a master teacher, now he's going to apply the principle to their lives so they understand what it means for them in terms of their relationship to the law. So uh, we'll look at verses 4 to 6, and we'll try to unravel this question. and What does it mean? In what sense have we died to the law? So verses 4 to 6, Therefore, my brethren, you also... "...were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit." and not in oldness of the letter. So what is Paul saying here? This is difficult stuff, right? He, he's saying here that the law applies to those who are alive, to those who are living. But now, what is, the role's, what is the law's role in our life? Well, what he's saying is that a death has occurred, and the death has severed that relationship between us and the law. Well, who died? Well, Jesus Christ died, right? It's, it's, it's not... It's not that the law died. Jesus Christ died. He sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. But remember, as chapter 6 said, we died with him when we identified with him, when we claimed him as our savior. We went into the ground in baptism, as it were, and came up again. We identified with him. We were united with him, and we were raised to new life with him. And in that moment, God saved us from the penalty and power of our sins and he declared us righteous and just as Jesus' death released us from bondage to sin in chapter 6 so his death also released us from bondage to the law here in chapter 7 but in what sense in what sense did we die to the law what does it mean to die to the law well Before we answer the question, let's just be clear about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the law is not relevant anymore. That's the last thing that it could mean, because the law reflects God's holy and perfect character. I remember when I first started teaching a Sunday school class in another church, Uh, I forget what book we were teaching. I think it was Galatians. And and we were talking about the law and somebody uh, said to me, well, I I think, you know, we should just uh, cut out the entire Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus from the Bible. And I said, well, you know, we're not required to obey them for our salvation, but these commandments reflect God's moral character. So uh, they're not binding on us in in the sense of we have to obey them to be saved, but we certainly are uh, thinking about God's character. And if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to be like God in the flesh, uh, well, that would be reflected in Jesus and that would be found in the Ten Commandments. And so we're aiming for that standard, even though that's not the standard of salvation. And I want us to see that uh, in Paul's illustration, in verses 2 and 3, the husband died, which released the surviving wife, right? The wife lives on, and she's free to marry another. But in 4 to 6, in the application, well, who is it that dies? It's the believer's death with Christ. We are the ones who die with him, and that releases us from the law. But the law survives, Why does the law survive? The law survives because it still is useful. It shows our sin nature. It shows our need for a savior, and it shows the character of God. So the law could never be irrelevant. So then what does it mean? What does it mean that we died to the law? Well, the first thing, the first sense, is that we have died to the law in the sense that the law can no longer condemn us. The law can no longer condemn us for our sin. Uh, You know, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai some 1,500 years before Jesus came and lived and died. And in all that time, not one Jew ever kept the law perfectly. It's impossible to do. It cannot be done. And so the penalty for violation of the law is condemnation and its death. But... God in his mercy, he graciously uh, instituted this system of animal sacrifice where uh, the the Jews could kill an animal to pay for their sins so they wouldn't have to shed their own blood uh, to pay for their sins. And the priests were busy night and day, day and night, sacrificing animals because the people could not stop sinning. And if not for the grace of God, this hopeless, tedious, depressing cycle of sin and death would never have ended These people were in every sense slaves to the law, constantly trying to keep it, constantly being condemned when they failed, and constantly sacrificing animals for their sins. But because now that Jesus has died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins once and for all, believers are now free from the law's condemnation. We cannot be condemned by the law anymore. So thank God for his mercy and grace shown through Jesus Christ. The penalty for sin is still death, but the penalty has been paid. Jesus Christ paid that sin so that we would not have to. And as we learned in chapter 6, by believing in Jesus, as we united ourselves with him, uh, we died to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin's penalty or its power. Romans 6.14 says that sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but you are under grace. And so we have a new relationship to sin. We are dead to it. And the same thing applies to the law. What was the purpose of the law? It's to condemn, it's to convict, it's to show us our sin. But being dead to the law means that it can no longer condemn us. Uh, The law no longer has authority over us because a death has occurred. But notice, it's God's work. To be made to die to the law means that we had nothing to do with it, right? God made us die to the law. Jesus died. Then God made us die to the law so that... Uh, we would be dead to sin and we would be dead to the law when we received Jesus as our Savior. So the law no longer has jurisdiction or authority over us anymore because we died to it with Jesus. Even if we commit some horrible, atrocious, heinous sin, still the law can't condemn us because we are covered by Jesus's blood. We are under grace. And as we'll see at the end of chapter 8, which I can't wait to get to, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so that, when we think about that, we just ask ourselves, what does it look like for us? What is it like for us not to be under law? Uh, We're going to sin, right? As human beings with a sin nature, uh, with the battle still ongoing, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin from time to time. But we don't have to sacrifice an animal when we do that. Jesus already paid for that sin. So what do we do? We we repent. We confess our sin. We ask for forgiveness. And we thank him for his grace and his mercy. And we will move on. Uh, God will never hold us accountable for that sin because the price has already been paid. But I want us to be sure that we understand that we're talking about believers only when we talk about being freed from sin. Uh, Death terminates the law's authority only for those who have received Jesus as Savior. So if you uh, should happen to be here or be hearing my voice as an unbeliever, uh, this does not apply to you it only applies to those who have received Jesus as their Savior. Those have been freed from the law's penalty and the law's obligations. Uh, The wages of sin is still death, and Hebrews 9.27 says, it is given to man once to die and then the judgment. And so for believers, we've already been judged. We've already been judged not guilty when we received Jesus Christ as our Savior. But if you have not received him as your Savior, the penalty for sin still awaits. And so, I would just encourage anyone who's hearing my voice who has not uh, accepted Jesus as your Savior uh, today. Let today be that day. So that's the first sense of how we have died to the law. The law no longer has power to, to, to condemn us. The second sense of how we died to the law is that we no longer use the law as a means to achieve righteousness. Uh, salvation is by grace, through faith, not by the works of the law. Now, we can easily make ourselves into legalists, right? We can, we can slavishly try and obey uh, God's rules and, and laws uh, to try to achieve our salvation. But if we do that, uh, we're just like every other works-based religion in the world. We'll fail before breakfast. We can't possibly keep the works of the law. And then, not only that, but sometimes we try to make our own laws uh, and say, I'm going I'm to obey these laws that I make to try and gain God's approval uh, Say, for example, you decide that your prayer life is not quite adequate. And from now on, you're going to get up at 5 a.m. every single morning, starting tomorrow morning, and you're going to pray for an hour before uh, you start your day. Well, maybe it's a great idea, but chances are you probably won't make it through Tuesday uh, before you failed. And then you're under under condemnation for the law that you've invented for yourself. Uh, and so we have to understand uh, that being dead to the law means that we don't have to perform Uh, to gain God's approval. We already have it because we have believed in his son. So trying to earn God's uh, approval uh, with our performance is legalism. It's the idea that we can do anything ourselves to earn His favor. And it's hopeless because it means that we are placing our confidence in our flesh rather than what Jesus did. It's not what we do. It's what he's already done. And so we can never make ourselves good enough by any works that we do to warrant salvation. If we could, then Jesus would not have had to come and die on the cross for our sins. Uh, We just need to understand that nothing we do can make God love us any more than he already does. So, as Christians, we just need to understand uh, that we have died to the law and that we can't do anything. We're not required to do anything anymore to gain God's approval. God has already given his approval when we have received his son, and that's called grace. Uh, and so, God has already given us his righteousness, a righteousness that we could never gain by anything that we do. And so, the difference between law and grace is the difference between night and day, Uh, east and west. uh, It is, they're just polar opposites. Grace and law have nothing to do with each other. Grace sets us free from the law's condemnation and frees us from trying to obtain our salvation through the law. So death can no longer, our law can no longer condemn us. And it's not to be used as a means of achieving righteousness. And then the third way that we have died to the law is that we've died to the law as a means of achieving sanctification. You have heard the phrase probably, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. If you've ever heard that before, it means that he loves you enough to save you in the condition you're in, but he loves you too much not to uh, help you to grow in your faith. And so uh, what it means is that God wants to change us, but not through the law. He wants to change us uh, by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so look at verses 4 to 6 again. I want you to see in here uh, that it says three times that God has a purpose for this. He says, so that, in order that, so that. Three times, he's freed us from the law so that we can serve in the spirit, right? He's he's taken us away from one thing, given us over to another thing, divorced us from the law so that we could be married to Christ and serve him. So the second half of verse 4, we've been freed from the law in order that we be bound to Jesus Christ. We've been widowed to the law, but now we're happily married to a new husband, Jesus Christ. But we can't enjoy that new relationship with Jesus Christ if we're still slaves to law, on the other hand. Uh, We can't bear fruit for God if we are constantly spending day and night trying to keep the law. Uh, Keeping the law demands our full attention. Uh, The Jews never got a moment's peace from trying to keep it. They were constantly day and night, minute by minute, trying to keep that law. So we have to die to the law to be bound to Jesus Christ. So that, again, purpose, so that we can bear fruit for God. When we were saved, God gave us graciously, the Holy Spirit. So God added the Spirit's power to us and he subtracted the burdens of the law from us. So now we have the time, we have the energy, we have the power, and we have the freedom to dedicate ourselves to bearing fruit for God. And so another metaphor, the metaphor of bearing fruit, and this is common throughout the Bible. Paul talked about it in Galatians chapter 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. John chapter 15, the, the vine, abide in the vine so that you may bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is this bearing of fruit? What do we do? Well, certainly it includes evangelism. It includes missions, right? Just as somebody uh, once led us to Christ, so we are to lead others to Christ as well. We want as many people as possible to be saved and to come into the kingdom of God. And the work of bearing fruit also includes discipleship. We want to grow in our relationship with Christ. The walk, the Christian walk is more than just uh, knowing that we have insurance that we won't face God's wrath. The, the walk is to continue to grow in faith and to become more Christ-like and to help others to do the same. And so uh, as we progress through chapter 7, we're going to see Paul himself struggle with this idea of how I'm uh, my old man and my new man and I'm having a, such a hard time with sin and, and, and yet thanks be to God for his grace. And so the struggle is not over and we need to progress and we want others to progress as well in becoming Christ-like in the days that God has given us. Paul explained that before we were saved, we were unable to bear fruit for God. Uh, But Paul says again then in verse 5 that while we were in the flesh, which is Paul's description of an unsaved person, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. Isn't that an interesting phrase, which resulted in us bearing fruit for death. So uh, the law aroused sin in Paul, and it does the same for us. So, so what does that mean? It means that the law can actually be harmful to our sanctification as it raises issues uh, and, and causes sin to increase. Uh, just like it does for us sometimes. Like if we see a sign that says, keep off the grass, what do we want to do? We want to stomp on the grass. It's the first thing we want to do in our sinful nature. We tell our kids, don't touch that. As soon as we're not looking, what's the first thing they do? They touch that. They can't help it. It's the law arousing the sinful nature uh, within us. And before salvation, the only thing that we could do is to bear fruit for death. And fruit for death just means all the sinful things that we do apart from Christ uh, that lead to God's judgment. But now we've died to the law. Verse 6, we are free to serve so that we might serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And so the Holy Spirit is God's gift to all believers. And now we've died to the law in Christ so that we can serve God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are truly free. We are free in the sense of never having to worry about suffering the penalty of breaking the law or failing to live up to God's standards. We are free to love and to live as Christ loves. Who the Son sets free shall be free indeed. We just sang it. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I didn't plan that. That was was fantastic, you guys. Uh, But it fits so perfectly. We are free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. So we are free from the law, and we're free to obey God. So the final question then, uh, do we still have to obey the law? Well, yeah, we do. We still have to obey the law. That may sound like bad news to you, but that's good news, because God wants the best for us and obedience to the law is the best for us. But we don't have to obey the law out of fear of judgment or condemnation or not because we're trying to earn God's salvation or God's, uh, God's uh, affirmation. We obey the law because we love God and we trust that his way is best for us. We recognize, as Paul will say later in the chapter, the law is good and it's righteous and it's holy. So yes, we keep it. We can never obey our way to salvation, but we can understand that salvation leads to obedience, and we want to obey God's law because we want to become more like Jesus. So we have the power to obey God's law because we have his Holy Spirit. We don't have to stomp on the grass and obey that sinful desire. We can leave the grass alone and let it grow. Uh, The road to sanctification is traveled by people who understand and know that they're free from the law's condemnation and yet obey it, not out of a desire uh, to be saved because we already are saved, but out of a desire to become more like Christ, not out of fear, but out of love. We serve a glorious, glorious God. What an amazing plan of salvation that is. So let's think about some applications for us this morning as we think about what this freedom means I have four R's for you this morning. And the first one is this, rest. We should serve, as verse 6 says, and we will serve, but not out of duty, but out of love. Remember, we have been freed from sin and we're freed from the burdens of any law. So don't trade slavery to the law, to slavery for, to guilt Uh, that you have not performed well enough today or or anything like that, like you're not doing enough to please him. Like I said earlier, God can't love you more than he already does. So rest in God's love, rest in God's freedom. Secondly, relax. Stop worrying about whether you have God's approval. He freed us from sin. He uh, freed us from law by means of his grace. You have God's approval. Don't beat yourself up. Grace means that we can relax in his goodness instead of going a million miles an hour trying to do this and that and the other thing, trying to please him and gain his approval day and night. We have been freed from the heavy yoke of the law and now we are free to serve him. So serve him with your freedom, uh, with the freedom that comes from not having to work so hard to try to think you're gaining his approval. Rest, relax, reflect, Reflect on what the penalty for our sin could have been and should have been. Reflect on the fact that Jesus paid the price for it so that we would not have to pay it ourselves. Spend time this week thanking God for his goodness and his grace and thank him that we will receive his mercy and not what our sins merit. And finally, relate. God did all of this. He sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, to save us from the penalty of our sin, to free us from bondage to slavery and bondage to the law. Why? Because he loves us. There's no other reasonable or possible explanation for it. And when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. And so isn't it just staggering to think that the God of all the universe who created it all wants to spend time with you and me? Don't forget to take time from your day, uh, to spend a little time with God relating to him in prayer and in thanksgiving. You know, if you've ever been enslaved to anything, a bad boss, a bad job, a bad relationship, an addiction, a sinful or a harmful habit, you know that there is no greater feeling than having been freed from it. It's the weight of the world lifted off your shoulders. You are free. That thing doesn't bind you anymore. We are free from sin. We're free from the law, free from condemnation, free, to, free from the burden of earning salvation and free to love God and love others with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Brothers and sisters, this world is in turmoil. You look at the news lately. Have you seen the news lately? This world is in absolute turmoil and we have the answer. We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We're free to share Jesus with the world. So the world doesn't need for anything from us except for us to show the love of Jesus Christ to the world. And with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to do it. So let's go out and do that rather than trying to earn our salvation or achieve our righteousness. We are free to love. So let's love the world like Jesus loved the world. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for chapter 7. Thank you for freedom from an unachievable standard of righteousness. Thank you for Jesus Christ who achieved that standard for us, who lived a perfect life and then became the sacrifice that you require for our sins, Lord. Lord, thank you that he paid the penalty for us so that we don't have to pay it. And thank you for the freedom to love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'll give us the power and the strength to do it, Lord. Give us the desire. Help us cooperate with the Holy Spirit who wants nothing more from us than to go out and share the love of Christ to a world who so desperately needs it. Lord, be with us today and this week as we try to apply these words to our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.